Hey there, and welcome to the Pseudo Show, brought to you by the Destination Linux Network. Today, we put on our systems administrator hats and dive into the world of open source virtual desktop infrastructure, FDI. Also, stay tuned as we announce some upcoming new elements on this episode of the Pseudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm Eric, the IT guy, and joining me every episode is my virtualized co-host, Brandon Johnson. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm just getting pinged. I'm like, why? Why am I getting pinged? <laughs> it is 4.30 on a Thursday. Go drink or something. All right. How are you doing today? <laughs> oh, it's a lot of fun today, but happy to do this with you today. I've been really excited for this one. For those of you that have listened to us for a long time, we usually have a lot of spit and polish on our episodes, but I feel this is worth sharing. This episode, we our recording time slot started literally 55 minutes ago, and we are just now getting into this. So it's been an interesting day for the both of us, but uh, hopefully a little bit of open source VDI action will, will help uh, round out the day. Today's episode of the Pseudo Show is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. I just cannot say enough good things about DigitalOcean. They've been my VPS of choice for over four years. When I started using DigitalOcean, they had firewalls and droplets. That was about it. Now you can build an entire application using all of their product offerings. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. DigitalOcean is your one-stop shop to deploy, scale, store, secure, and monitor your infrastructure and applications. DigitalOcean offers managed Kubernetes instances with just a few clicks. Simply select the size and location of your workers and away you go. Need fast, reliable servers? No problem. DO offers flexible compute options like CPU or memory-optimized instances. DigitalOcean has a vast marketplace with one-click deploy apps ranging from WordPress to LAMP or Docker. Finally, DO is home to the app platform. Let DigitalOcean manage your infrastructure, app libraries, and dependencies, leaving you to focus on developing and growing your application and your business. These are just a few of the services and features that we love so much about DigitalOcean. I just migrated my uh, website to the app platform using uh, static websites. And it was fantastic and easy to move. Not entirely convinced? Then try their services for yourself by going to do.co slash DLN. You can create an account and receive a $100 credit good for two months. And thank you, DigitalOcean, for being a sponsor of the Destination Linux Network and for helping make this show possible. So Brandon and I started this podcast because... We both tinker in our labs. We both have family members that aren't as technically savvy. And so one of the things that led us to start the Pseudo Show was just these ideas and tinkering with, with our home labs and figuring out how would we manage an environment if we were doing this for, for business. As a former systems administrator and Brandon is a former consultant and, and a little bit of everything, really. But... One of the conversations we had recently, and we actually should have just recorded the conversation because that in and of itself would have been a great episode. But we were talking about virtualized desktops. Here at home, I've got a server rack. I've got a couple of servers. I'm upgrading the switches. And I've got four kids that are either in school or going to start school. And I've, I've got a spouse and myself. And, and Brandon's got, uh, got a family as well. And so the question came up, does everyone really need their own high-end, all-in-one tower anymore? Is that really necessary? And so the, the conversation kind of grew from there. It, it went from, well, maybe you could just throw a thin client down on, on each, each person's desk, and when they inevitably spill Kool-Aid on it, then it's really cheap to replace, and all the processing would be done down in the server room. We started looking for open-source uh, solutions, and what we came up with was a list of some tools that we feel are really beneficial to both our use cases and those of, of, of the enterprise. So some of the solutions that we looked at might fill our, our use cases, but could definitely be used in an enterprise-scale environment as well. Brandon, if I remember correctly, you, you even worked with some, some VDI environments in your past life. Yeah, I've worked with a lot of proprietary ones, Citrix being 
probably the most known one that I've worked with in the past. And I also had a lot of discussions around using Red Hat virtualization with customers for desktop virtualization, which was actually one of the key use cases in the very early days of that product. In fact, I think more or less like for basic virtual desktop use cases, it still does a very good job. So when I'm at home these days now with it, it's probably at the front of my mind is we have software that we that we use as a family, like whether that's like a Microsoft uh, Office subscription or some other piece of software that, we, that we've purchased that runs on Windows. And I really don't want to have more than one Windows machine around. So that's where, for me where VDI really comes in. It's not necessarily like the, I want to have a thin client for my daughter or my, or my wife. If anything, they're going to want, and my wife especially is going to want a laptop. My daughter, it's a tablet, an iPad. Maybe someday instead for doing homework and we're doing real work, thin client might make sense for my daughter, but it's most of the needs that I think of is I have one app that we need to access every once in a while, whether that's my wife needs to access it or myself, but, but I want to, we want to have our specific piece of hardware that we like to use. Like my wife's case, a MacBook in my case, my ThinkPad with Fedora or whatever device I'm in front of that day. Like it could be a MacBook, it could be a Windows box, but I don't want to install all my applications on those machines. Could also be one of your 14 tablets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't have that many tablets, I just have six. That you're admitting to. So my, my use case is a little bit different than Brandon's. For the most part, I've been able to shuffle my workloads off to either web, web UIs or flat packs and RPMs on the Linux side. My, the one Windows box in the entire house is literally sitting on a separate SSD on my tower. And I literally only use that like once a month, once every two months when a friend of mine wants to play a game that doesn't work under Steam for, or Proton for, or Steam Proton. Everything else is either in the web or, or I can get to as a flat pack or some other option under Linux. I will say, though, that I am very intrigued by the idea of desktop virtualization for tablets. I'm very fond of my iPad Pro. Between battery life, screen size, and the, the keyboard, I can, depending on my workload for the day, I can literally take, take my iPad down to the kitchen, sit at the table, and work all day and, and be fairly productive. So we did some digging, and we found a number of open source options and we also found a few proprietary ones that, that kind of give us some ideas of where the open source community may be going. Because like Brandon, I worked with Citrix both on the application virtualization side as well as the, the desktop virtualization side. So that kind of flavored a lot of our, a lot of our conversation around, around some of these different tools and how it could help with both the enterprise and maybe with Brandon and, and my home labs here. So the first one Brandon already kind of alluded to was Rev, Red Hat uh, Virtualization. The upstream project of that, of course, is Overt. And if I'm not mistaken, that's what you're running in your home lab as a hypervisor, right? Yeah, so that's what I use for all my, for basically all my services I run at home and also for testing things for work, things like that. What's great about Overt is it has uh, the built-in broker so that a client can like a thin client can communicate to the overt engine to the which has a spice broker, uh, spice proxy, and then it communicates to the hypervisors where the actual connection to spice is made. I should actually clarify what that is. What spice is, I will in a minute. And then taking and then present desktop. It's in this case, it's a full desktop. And also talk about. A few other terms you might hear virtual desktop infrastructure, that's VDI. So you can have go into a web browser and make the connection to, to a desktop that is virtualized on overt. And the way Spice works, Spice is a remote desktop protocol that for virtual desktop workloads. And that's open source. It's more like it's still fairly active development, not as active as I'd like to see, but it is a good solution for basic virtual desktop use cases. 
specifically just getting an end user a desktop. So there are thin clients for this or open source thin clients to make that broker actually work. I mean, over does some of it, but the really the there are better tools that I've discovered later on that I think are that do a lot better at this. Some of them are very specific on how they do it. Others are hypervisor or even just clear platform agnostic. So Overt was was an interesting addition to our list. And but but like Brandon was just alluding to, it doesn't necessarily it's not purpose built for desktop virtualization. It works great at that, especially while using a using a spice broker. But there there are some tools that are far better equipped to handle virtual desktops. To be honest, this is actually an area within technology that I'm surprised hasn't seen more attention, especially at the enterprise level. I mean, I worked for an organization that had all virtual desktop infrastructure. No, uh, I, I was just going to say, Eric, I kind of disagree with that. Like VDI has been huge, especially in banking. That and but thing that's really taken off that is a subset of VDI which actually I think came first, is application virtualization, or also known as application streaming. So that's, that's an interesting thought, because most of the organizations I worked at, with one exception, didn't have any application, or it didn't have any a desktop virtualization. Several of them did have older, proprietary, very specific use case application streams. So applications that weren't as easy to manage on a thousand desktops would often be virtualized using something like Citrix. And then you just go to a web, web page and you, and you can launch the, the application from there. But as far as full-blown desktop virtualization, I worked for an insurance company here in Kansas City that, that was all VDI. And, and since we haven't really defined what VDI is, I think this will be a good chance to kind of walk you through what that is and what that means. So VDI is to desktops the as hypervisor is to bare metal servers. So much like you virtualize your your server operating system and you throw it on a hypervisor, preferably a cluster of hypervisors, and run your your virtual machines as if they were bare metal servers, you can do the same thing with with desktops. Instead of a thousand dollar some odd desktop that sits on the table plus a couple hundred dollars worth of monitors plus you know fifty dollars worth of mouse and keyboard, instead you just get and they very greatly in price, but for say a hundred bucks, you can buy a thin client, which is basically a dumb terminal. You can set that on the desk, and so instead of seven hundred and fifty dollars, you're spending a hundred dollars at each desk. Throw down a couple of monitors, throw down uh, a mouse and keyboard, and now you've got a much more efficient workspace because you don't have as many moving parts. And a lot of companies, especially big enterprises, already have invested heavily in their network and in their server racks. So by virtualizing your desktops into the server and into your server farm already, you've already made the investment there. You just need a, a basic connection between the, the server farm and the end user to be able to connect over, connect through the thin client to an instance that's running on the VDI environment. So that makes it very, very easy to build basically golden images for desktops where you just have one basic image, you deploy it out to everyone. And what was great because I, I worked help desk for this for this ins insurance company. And what was awesome is you could tell, just like a virtual machine, you could tell what its resources were. You could tell the last time it was rebooted. And granted, this was like seven or eight years ago. So at the time, reboots were were definitely the the end-all be-all of fixes because if they ran for more than eight days, these these virtual desktops seemed to freeze up. So sometimes you would have to forcibly restart. So it was easy to avoid that by just ingraining training people to reboot their VDIs before they go home from work on Friday afternoons. So it made for a very efficient workspace. And what was great is only a few people actually needed a laptop to connect back into work. And what was awesome is they didn't do a lot of the work on their laptop. Instead, all they do is open up the VPN connection, then connect back into the exact same VDI instance that they've been using all along. And not to mention that when you do actually break your VDI, it is so easy to delete it and redeploy it from that golden image and get back up and running because all of your home file data or all your, all your user directory data is stored off on a storage server somewhere and presented to the VDI environment. So that's a long-winded explanation, but it really makes desktop management much, much easier. It's not just about desktop management, too. It's also about security because 
your the data doesn't leave the data center. Your if if you're using like a thin top type solution, uh, meaning a thin laptop that really doesn't have much of an OS on it, but it does have the ability to connect back to to a virtual de- desktop. Your data is not on that laptop; it's somewhere else. In some cases, those do cache it that like it's cached data and it's encrypted usually. So it definitely reduces uh, risk. It's a great solution. I it's more difficult during for remote users, especially with slow internet connections, but great for task workers that are now that we're many some companies are returning to office. I mean, this is a, a great solution for people that for companies that have a lot of task workers in office. Great for call center use cases, in my opinion. Great for secretaries. Great for anyone that does not, whose job does not require them to leave the office is really the key, one of the key use cases I, I see for VDI. Well, and I think this is one of the rare situations where security and performance go hand in hand because you said it. The data never leaves the data center. So something that, that has gotten more attention since my days at, at, that, at that insurance company is that big data is everywhere. And so there's business analysts that, that have to sift, sift through hundreds of gigs of data now. None of that has to leave the data center because it's all virtualized. So you can have your virtual desktop that talks to your virtual application server to process all of that data. And none of that has to go over the wire anymore. The only thing that's actually coming down the wire to you, the end user, is just the display stream from your desktop. Yeah, exactly. Now, a lot of those, a lot of these solutions, a lot of solutions actually used in the enterprise are proprietary. I mean, that the most common is VMware with VMware Horizon and the Citrix with Zen Desktop and Zen App. And they're really, from my perspective, and even AWS, I believe, I think they have uh, workspaces. Yeah, and AWS with workspaces, and Microsoft has their own solution on Azure as well. There are two. Variations of EDI is really how I see it, or at least the the two subsets. There could be, you know, some say there could be a few others, but depends on who you ask. VDI in the traditional sense is you need a virtual desktop, a full like Windows desktop or Linux desktop, and you want to deliver things to to a task worker, as I already mentioned. Or the application streaming. Application streaming is just, I want to get an application to an end user, and I don't necessarily want to install the application fully on that, on that end device. Now, there, so, there are very few open source solutions out there that solve this. But let's start with the VDI use case. I need a full desktop. I don't need the, I don't want to do application streaming. I just want to do full desktop. As I mentioned, Overt does that fairly well. You can get thin clients for that, and they're also open source solutions, so you can build your own thin client. And I'll have those in the show notes. But the first one, and one of the ones I asked Eric to look at, was a solution called Revata. And I've looked at this in the past, and what's interesting about it is you just use KVM hypervisors, and it just manages the deployment of your desktops there, and it handles the broker. The, the Spice broker, because it uses Spice underneath the covers. Or if you're using Windows, you can use RDP. So Eric, uh, did you get a chance to take a look at this? I don't know if you did, but I had an allergic reaction to it because it's written in Perl. But that, that's the real reason he asked me to look into Revata. And what was interesting was it, it, seems to be, it seems to have a fairly active community. Open source VDI does not seem to be something that a lot of folks are trying to solve. However, it... Based on some of based on Revata versus some of the other projects we looked at, it does seem to have a very active community. And the fact that it runs on KVM hypervisors was a huge plus for my use case. My my home server currently runs RHEL 8.4, and I'm just running virtual machines using using the cockpit to web interface on top of that. What was interesting and something I almost tried, but I just I looked at it and just said no. Was they actually have support for Docker? So or or more more accurately, a containerized desktops. So that use case was was interesting to me. And and like I said, I didn't try it, but I, I, I may now that I think about it. 
just the fact that you could spin up multiple containers and run an entire desktop out of it, especially from an enterprise perspective, that that begs a question. Could this eventually be supported under something like Kubernetes or OpenShift? So that, I mean, we've we've got Kubevert, we've got we've got the the actual container orchestration, and I mentioned Kubevert. So now Kubernetes can manage virtual machines. So now with something like Revata, could you deploy your entire fleet of desktop instances using Kubernetes and just schedule everything? It it's an interesting use case, and it'd be something worth exploring. But I also have have a bit of allergies with with Perl, so I'm I'm curious how that would scale over the long long haul. But it, it was definitely an interesting project, and huge kudos for it being a very active community. Yeah, it, that's one of the things that attracted me to it. I installed it. I did install it. I didn't try anything with the Docker support. But what's great about it, and we'll also talk about another one that's very similar, is it just uses libvirt KVM. So you need to do something that's very virtual desktop focused. I think Revata is a great solution. It because it just uses KVM and it manages KVM, but you can also continue to manage KVM the way you use, like whether if you're using Cockpit or if you're using Vert Manager or Versh. You can continue to do it that way, but you have this nice front end for end users to interact with. I really thought Robata was a, a great solution for that. If you're in, a, if you're already working with a KVM and you're looking for a solution to do uh, virtual desktops like this, the next one I think was uh, Flex VDI, and this is one I've ran across for several years. I had it implemented at one point. One of the reasons why I liked it is because it had an iOS app. And also an Android app. I didn't see that on their website, in the, but I'm pretty sure I still have. I have. A, I still have it installed on my iPad. I just never deleted it. But so I, I'm sure the app still works. But it's it's there. It, it is available. It does seem to be available. And I really like the idea of being able to interact with a Linux desktop on my iPad. Did you get a chance to take a look at Flex? One of the pros is that, like Revata, it it supports a KVM infrastructure, which really lends itself well to most most open source based hypervisors. One of the cons, though, was that I'm curious as to the overall. I, I don't want to say it's a con, but something that's concerning is that it only supports RHEL seven as a management host. So it it that may or may not affect RHEL eight or other RHEL like platforms. But it begs the question as to how active is the how active is the community? What what does their development uh, lifecycle look like right now? Oh, they have had a lot of recent releases, so it, it is active. My only concern is not all the code seems to be on GitHub, so that, that's something I'd like to see remedied. The iOS client is on GitHub, so that was good to see. I would like to see more from from this project because it is a good project. They do a really good job with what they do. The KVM host can be anything. That's what I really like about it. It's just the management. The management node is RHEL 7. Hopefully, we'll see a release soon that supports RHEL 8. So, I mean, this is really appealing, especially for my, my personal specific use case. I live on my iPad Pro. I actually don't run a lot of my communication apps on my desktop, like Telegram or, or Matrix. Most of the time, I'm responding to emails or responding to chats on my iPad sitting next to my desk. So it's really easy to just reach over, set do not disturb, and just keep working on my desktop. But if I could do, if I could have all of my desktop apps, like if I could run all the post-processing and the packaging for the show to get it uploaded to, to our podcast uh, aggregator, from my iPad while while still enjoying all the horsepower that comes with a full-fledged desktop. To me, that that would be like utopia. To be able to to do those heavy video encoding or audio encoding tasks from my iPad while I'm sitting out on our back deck, while my wife's smoking steaks and and I can sit out there and 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 get some work done. You you can tell I've I've really thought this through. So Flex VDI is definitely going to stay on my radar. And but I, I would think that the most attractive solution that, that we came across was probably open UDS, predominantly because there is I, I believe it's enterprise UDS or there there was a paid solution. It ties in very well with a hypervisor called XNG, which is kind of a kind of an older fork of Citrix Zen server. 
And so if you deployed the, the hypervisor, deployed open either enterprise UDS or open UDS, they work very well together. The UI was beautiful. And it supports a number of different hypervisors beyond just KVM. Yeah, it w integrates very well with, with Zen, with XNG. Also integrates with Overt. So OpenUDS is actually a pretty new open source project. The source code just landed on GitHub publicly not that long ago. I have played with it. The UI, I wouldn't call it beautiful, Eric, but it is, it is very very nice to use. Supports Windows and Linux desktops. And also, it has an added bonus. It also does application virtualization. So I can do application streaming. And it's something I haven't done yet with it. It's something I've kicked the tires on. But what I like about it is application streaming doesn't just support Windows. Like a lot of application virtualization solutions only support Windows. This one supports both Linux and Windows, which is very attractive for my use case here at home. And also like when I recommend to customers, well, hey, if like if I have customers that ask me about what open source solutions would you use? Like if you were trying to solve this problem and I'll make a recommendation, maybe nothing spectacular, but it is... And they may not end up using it. They may end up using a proprietary solution, but they do ask. And so I always, I'm always up to date on these things. And OpenUDS is by far uh, the most feature-rich. OpenUDS could use more documentation. Yeah, I mean, UDS Enterprise, I was able to get a, a subscription, a limited subscription for that. That is very well documented and very, but it's very similar. I, so OpenUDS may deserve some attention from our audience because granted we we haven't talked to anyone at at the UDS organization itself this is just a guess based on based on timelines and documentation it seems like they've worked on their proprietary platform for a long time and have recently decided to open source it so i'm not sure what what percentage of it's open source now between enterprise UDS and open UDS but it like Brandon said, there's there's been a ton of activity and it's not been out in the public realm for very long. So I'm I'm hoping that maybe this is this is a proprietary uh, application that is now going open source that that we as an open source enterprise focused community can get behind and get get some people that are open source first kicking the tires, trying things out, submitting bugs, and really just basically score one for for the home team really to to just get another organization to understand the value of open source first exactly before i get it we get into the what I, i'm gonna call the poor man's application streaming i wanted to give a shout out we, there was there was a shout out to them on on destination linux uh, a couple weeks ago and that's shells.com so shells.com is a desktop as a service cloud solution that allow that delivers Linux virtual desktops, which I think is really cool. This is essentially the open source. The solution itself, I don't think, is open source, so like underneath the covers. But it, it but it is Linux first desktop solution, cloud desktop solution. If we were still traveling like pre twenty twenty, I could definitely see myself using this as a workstation on the go. Instead of trying to VPN back to my house, I could just set up a basic desktop with some of the basic tools that I need most frequently and just use shells.com. And I believe they even have mobile applications as well. And then if you're, if you're on a laptop and you are traveling, then they have a really good browser-based integration as well. So, I mean... Kudos to shells.com. This is a really cool idea and, and definitely one that we're going to keep our eyes on. Yeah. And Windows, it looks like Windows supports coming as well. So that, that, that's interesting to me as well. But what I really like about it is if I was traveling where the way I was, I would have one up while I'm on the road. I'd have it automatically VPN back to my house. And just so I had that secure, that secure tunnel. And then, and then I can just use my work laptop to interact with my home stuff. So it, one less thing to carry type of a thing. But I think it's, I think that's a great solution. Big shout out to, to the shells.com team. So I want to put in my two cents, but I'm, I'm really curious about your experience overall. And, and we intentionally didn't talk about this in the pre-show just so we could kind of get that, that initial impression. 
looking at all these different uh, solutions, we had varying levels of success getting them installed and running in our home labs. We had varying levels of usability and documentation. But I think the one major thing that is missing across the board that I would be anxious to see is GPU support. That, yeah, that's one of the things that is definitely missing in a lot of these. But I have an data center GPU that I have available. And AMD graphics drivers work very well, from what I can tell, with Ver.io GPU. So and some of that ends up on the GPU anyway. And a lot of these solutions, because they're just using KVM, they just use what's there. So you can use the Vert.io GPU driver versus just doing PCI pass-through. So at least you can get better performance. And at least in, in some cases, 3D accelerated performance, you're not going to game on these. With that, you, you're going to want to do GPU pass-through for that. But that's it's still a really a really good way of getting a performance desktop and in these automatically inherit inherit it. What about yourself? What were your overall impressions? Well, I think OB, Open UDS is easily the most feature complete. It's not easy to get going, don't get me wrong, but it is the most feature complete. Flex VDI, I just want to see it run on Relay or or even if or on a different platform that's just a little newer, like like Slaz or I mean, uh, not maybe not Slice, Open, OpenSUSE 15 or CentOS 8 Stream. Just something to, that's a little more modern. That Other than that, I think Flex VDI is great. Revata, it is really good. It is actually really good. I don't know. I, I've had a lot of bad experience with Perl in the past. Like I've had to work with Perl in previous jobs. And it's just not performant from my experience with this type with with web applications because that's what it is. It's a it's a Perl backed web application. Shells.com. It's brand new to me. I think it's great. I want to see more though. I want to see more out of that project, out of that out of that service. But it's definitely worth the price. It's not it's not ex- that expensive and definitely worth the worth a, a second another look. And I can't wait to see what they do with it. Yeah, definitely a lot of interesting things going on. And the integration with KVM is, I think, pretty huge as far as the future of the open source ecosystem. I want to switch gears a little bit to uh, a topic that I know you're pretty uh, passionate about, and that's application streaming. That's that's kind of the stripped down version of VDI. So first off, you've got to share your story about the poor man application streaming that you found. And then we'll talk about the more... <laughs> more community accepted version, I guess. Well, either way, they're both uh, poor man's application streaming. This is just a quick way of doing application streaming without building a ton of infrastructure. Like OpenUDS could do this. Easy. No problem. It's just you have to get OpenUDS running, right? And I think the... So I found this. This was featured on, I think, on, on the Linux subreddit. And a couple other, and then a few publications. And that is, it's essentially a set of scripts called Win Apps. It's Win A P P P S. So Win Apps, you execute it on your Linux box, and it's expecting RDP, specific version of an RDP client, and on your system. And then it connects to either a local KVM. At your local KVM that with a Windows virtual machine, or it can be a remote one, and it will discover the applications that are installed now that on this Windows virtual machine and create little create icons and in GNOME or in it just creates a application entries in your in GNOME or in KDE. What I thought was really cool about this is it just took a registry hack. I don't know how. I don't know if it if it, this goes against Microsoft Terms Service, but it was. I love it. It's great. I can if I need Microsoft Word, I don't need to tweak Wine to make it work or fight with Wine. Don't need to do any of the fighting with Wine to make Microsoft Word or PowerPoint work. I can now just connect back to a Windows 10 box that I have Microsoft Office installed on and start up the application I need. 
And I love it. It's just using RDP and it runs like it's a full application on my desktop because it's uh, doing, it's uh, passing my home directory over through RDP. So I can save directly to my local machine. It's very performant because it's using RDP. RDP is very, very performant. And, and I don't have to implement much. I have to do a registry hack and run a script. It just made my life very easy. Unlike OpenUDS, I need Windows Server. Like a Windows Server, I need, uh, I need with OpenUDS, I need Windows Server. And with WinApps, I just use Windows 10. It's done. So probably not something we recommend to the enterprise systems administrator, but... Uh, Absolutely not. For home application streaming, it definitely, especially for those one or two applications that don't work under Wine or don't have a... Or, or you have some kind of requirements, like we, we have folks that we interact with on occasion that is DocX or nothing, and LibreOffice gets you most of the way there, but not quite. But there is a Linux-only alternative that I think is really, really, is, is really, it's sweet, man. <laughs> it is. There's a Linux-only alternative to this that I think is really effective and is kind of becoming more and more the standard in the, in the space, and that's X2Go. Yeah, so I first learned about X2Go because of Noah. And what I what X2Go is great at doing, I need a full virtual desktop. I need to get to, to a Linux desktop. But one of the things that it has in there is a feature called published applications. So you can connect to a, a remote Linux box and just run the applications. You don't pull up a full desktop you just run the applications. And that's a great way of having an application that you want remote that maybe you don't want to install on every machine. Maybe it's just something that you use every once in a while. I love it. I think it's a great way of, do, of getting certain applications uh, on my machine. And in some cases, like having, like I have two element personas. And I have an element on an element application running on, on a Fedora server in my lab, and then the one that's on my local machine. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great utility. And I actually want to try and performance test it a little bit and see how heavy of an application. So for instance, if I'm doing some vid something video intensive on my desktop, I want to see if I can take my, say my Lenovo X1 and go sit on the couch in the living room and use X2Go to connect back to, to my desktop. So I have the full resources of my desktop, but I can sit on the couch and be lazy and still get that work done. So maybe that's something I'll try and, and report back. Yeah, I think it's great. I, don't, I haven't done like anything heavy, like video editing or anything like that. But I do think it's a, a good solution. And it works great on your local LAN. It even works over Wi-Fi. Same with WinApps because it's just using RDP, as I mentioned. So there you have it. I mean, there's, like Brandon said, to kind of sum up, there's two real approaches to this space. And that's, there's a full VDI, that's a full desktop space. And then there's there's the application streaming space. And so we've, we've kind of shared with you some of our thoughts and some of our experiences with with some of these open source solutions. There's not many of them. This is This is an area of our infrastructure that is still very heavily dominated by proprietary solutions. So if this is something that you or your organization is interested in testing out, let us know how that goes. Send us some feedback and and let us know what your experiences have been with open source or even proprietary VDI. As, as I think, as as people are starting to travel back to the office, as, as people are kind of getting used to new workflows at home, I think this could be a very interesting way to change how, how the desktop goes, especially when you factor in the power and the clarity of screens on, on mobile devices as well. So th this is a space that I think has been silent for a while, but could, could definitely see a, a resurgence. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and business organizations to store, share, and sync sensitive data. You can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to check out this amazing open source password manager. You may or may not know it, but websites and apps are under attack every single day. And because of this, we're seeing a rise in security breaches like we've never seen. When you reuse the same passwords across many websites, hackers thank you because they can easily access your email, bank, and other important accounts. This is why security experts recommend that you use a different, randomly generated password for every online account. 
With Bitwarden, you create these randomly generated passwords that are different for every site you visit. And the best part is Bitwarden will manage all of this for you so you don't have to. In fact, my wife and I just moved into our house uh, a few months ago. Part of my post-move operation was to go in and update the billing address. And while I was logged into those accounts, I used Bitwarden to rotate all of those randomly generated passwords just to be safe. What's great is Bitwarden works across all of your devices from mobile, desktop, browser plugins, and even on the command line. We're all big fans of Bitwarden, and one of the reasons is the great service. But trust is a very important factor for a password manager. So how does Bitwarden prove they can be trusted? Bitwarden is 100% open source. That's right, 100% open source, so everyone is free to review, audit, and contribute to the Bitwarden code base. If you want to self-host it, you can even do that. If you want to make the smart move, like many of the awesome people in the community have, then check out bitwarden.com DLN and get started for free. If you're like me, though, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially when the premium edition starts only at $10 a year. That's right, just $10 a year. Thank you to Bitwarden for being a sponsor of the Pseudo Show and the entire Destination Linux network. So we just passed episode 25, and, and that some would say that's a milestone. We're a quarter of the way to 100. So we haven't done this lately, Brandon. We've been very focused on interviews and very hyper-focused on topics. We, we haven't taken some time lately to just take a step back and talk about kind of the state of the show. We've just passed 25 episodes, and in a few weeks, we'll be celebrating our first birthday as a podcast. So we just want to kind of step back and we've we've got a couple of asks of your listeners, but we also wanted to announce a couple of things that we've been working on that we're really excited about. So first off, I, I wanted to uh, point out Pseudo Hangouts. We've had two of these sessions. They've both been great. It, it's completely different than than a recording or or some kind of a, of a live episode because instead it's just a bunch of technologists hanging out. The first the first time around, we actually had somebody who who literally brought a couple of drinks, so it was kind of like a happy hour, like a virtual happy hour. So it's just an hour here and there, and we're we're trying to f to float the time and the day of the week. That way, different people in different time zones working different types of jobs can just jump on hangout. There's there's no agenda. There's no scripts. There's no sponsors. It's it's literally just a chance to network with folks all over the globe, people that have a love for Linux and open source and the enterprise, just like just like all of you and just like us. It's it's been a great time. Yeah. Pseudo Hangouts has been a lot of fun. And we want to do that at least once a quarter, you know, if not more often. I would love for all our fans to come and, and join us for a hangout. But one of the things that I am really, really excited about, and it's a been a lot of work coming, is Pseudo Labs. So, what is Pseudo Labs? So, Pseudo Labs is the content that does not fit into an audio only podcast like Pseudo Show is. So, I will, Eric and I will be taking some of the, the solutions that we have talked about on the show, whether if it's a VDI solution like we talked today, uh, talked about today, we'll produce some video content around it, how to install it, how it works, or even just like an architecture deep dive into a piece of technology. Like I've been asked, what's the difference between the Zen hypervisor and KVM? Like going deep into those topics and just whiteboarding them. And that is one of my key, one of the big things I've been really, this has been a big focus of me for me for the last uh, a couple months to get that ready. And that'll be coming out later this year. Well, we don't have an exact uh, release date just yet. Keep an eye on our Element Matrix channel as well as on social media. We'll, we'll announce uh, a little bit more in terms of details and content when we get a little bit closer. But Brandon and I have been spending a lot of time talking about pseudo labs. And it was really a debate between do we go to a weekly audio podcast? Do we go to a bi-weekly video podcast? But we actually polled some folks within the network, some, some trusted mentors of ours. And it seems like this format is, people are enjoying this format. The interviews, the, the 
open source enterprise specific content that we're bringing every other week. So we've decided to leave the the format of, of the podcast the way it is. There's so many limitations from not being able to visually see Brandon and I talking. And so what we're we're really hoping to expand upon that, we're we're shooting for every other week. So first and third weeks of the month, you, you end up with the podcast. And then second and fourth weeks would be video content that you can go out. And if you want an idea, if you want like a, a sampling of what we're hoping to do, go back and listen to the episode where we interviewed Chris Altus, the CEO of Mist. And then a few weeks later, Brandon released this awesome, I think it was just shy of 15 minute overview of how to get started with Mist and uh, DigitalOcean. So think of think of more like that. Some of the other content we have in mind are walkthroughs of our home labs. I just got a 42U rack. It looks pretty bare because I've only mounted a couple of devices. But you've, you've heard us talk about what we did to build out our home labs. So now this will be a chance to see it. And then later on this year, we have plans to do travel tips for how to get re-acclimated to traveling with open source. What kind of devices would we like to do? And if if you're in the audience and you're... Maybe you're a, a vendor, if you've got hardware or software that you think would, would be a great fit, by all means, reach out to us, contact at sudo.show, send us an email, go to our website, sudo.show, and go to the contact us page and, and reach out, connect with us. Brandon and I would love ideas on content, but we'd also love to find some people within the industry who have a solution for the traveling, assist, uh, the traveling technologist or someone if you have something that would be great for video content, reach out to us, let us know, let's get on the schedule. And like, like we said, there'll, there'll be more to come in the, in the coming weeks as far as when this will start. But I think we're shooting for about Q3, maybe a little sooner, depending on how all the different pieces come together. But pseudo labs, pseudo hangouts, pseudo show, we've got our own little, little pseudo verse going on here, don't you think? Exactly. So you brought up getting ready to travel again. When, when I get it, we'll be doing reviews of any devices we get, like whether if that's the Libram 5, if I ever get it. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> uh, I'll definitely be talking about Purism at Libram 5 if I get it. The post-market, yeah, I got this at uh, the post-market edition of the Pine Phone, which is currently running Fedora, of course. Nothing less on my than Fedora for me. And talking about how, how these actually work day to day. I mean, as someone that travels a lot. What we also want to do is keep a, keep a focus on the enterprise as well. So while we want to talk about how to survive as a technologist with a, with a love for Linux and open source, we also, want to, we also want to provide a slightly different angle. And that's how could you deploy a solution like this at an enterprise, at a company level? So we're not going to try and compete with a lot of the other Linux content out there because there's tons of content for the hobbyist, for the individual, for the education space. So we don't want to take away from that. So anything that we talk about, we definitely want to present that enterprise slant. And I think that'll be beneficial for anyone that's listening that wants to take what they do at home and be able to use it in the office and administer it in the office as well. Also, the pseudo swag, the pseudo merch, whatever you want to call it. Pseudo swag has a nice, has a nice ring to it. We're... Michael Tanell has done a fantastic update to the to the DLN store. Go and check out our new merch and go pick up a shirt, a hat. I think we have aprons just like everyone else. Yeah, DLN has definitely had a big push on swag lately. I think one of the shows even has a baby onesie for with with their show logo on it. So if you haven't been to pseudo.show slash swag lately, you haven't been there at all. In fact, we just changed t-shirt vendors. A little bit of inside information if you've listened to the episode this long, but we've recently changed t-shirt vendors. The quality should be much, much better. So highly encourage you go out, get some swag. And it's not because we're not promoting the swag because Brandon and I are, are, are poor. In fact, quite the opposite. We want to see all of you out there wearing your swag. Tag us on at Pseudo Show Podcast on social media. Show us wearing your swag, drinking tea out of your, out of your Pseudo Show mug and tell a friend. We have seen... I know we're not quite to our, our, our first birthday yet, but we're, we're just a few weeks away. And while we have had more success generating and sharing content with all of you, there's so many people out there that are looking for content like the Pseudo Show. I, I feel like we're kind of unique in the space as far as enterprise open source is concerned. So tell a friend, go out to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. We, we don't ask this very often, 
So I hope that if you've listened to the episode this long, that you'll understand that our desire is to provide good quality content. We don't like to do these state of the show segments very often. Maybe that hurts our growth, but our focus is to provide you good quality, concise content. So we're not taking up two hours of of your podcasting time every every couple of weeks. We want to provide good, solid content. But to grow the show, we need your help. So go out and leave us a review. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you can, leave us a review. It helps grow the show. And, and send us your feedback. We've done a lot of interviews. We haven't done as many of these kind of one-on-one conversations that we started the show with. Let us know what you think. Do you like the interviews? Do you like the, the one-on-ones? Is it striking a good balance? Let us know. Shoot us your feedback. There's the DLN discourse. There's uh, contact at sudo.show, our email. There's sudo.show and the contact us page. There's so many ways to get a hold of us. If you want to tell Brandon or I something and you haven't reached out to us, it's not because there's not ways to do it. So by all means, reach out to us, leave us a review, send us your feedback. We really, really appreciate it. If you have ideas for content, we've got several months where the content planned, but Actually, this show, we had a cancellation, so we bumped up this topic. So there's something you want to hear covered that unless we have a, a scheduled interview, then this is your all show more than it's our show. We're, we're here to generate content that, that we found valuable and we want to share it with you all. So by all means, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for listening to this state of the show segment. We really appreciate it. Brandon, any any closing thoughts before we uh, before we wrap this up? Yeah, and the feedback, just uh, send all the hate mail to eric at sudo.show. I was not expecting that. I, I have no comeback. <laughs> and all the big, all the great fan mail, like <laughs> all the love, send that to brandon at sudo.show. You know, with that being said, thank you so much for joining us today. As always, your feedback is welcome. Head on over to sudo.show slash discuss. You can, every episode has its own forum thread. So if, if you miss the days of PHPBB, just head on over to sudo.show slash discuss because DLN hosts a discourse instance and Pseudo Show has, has an entire section uh, for information on Pseudo Hangouts and every episode has its own thread. So you can jump on, share your thoughts. Of course, contact at sudo.show if you'd prefer an email. If you'd like more of Brandon and I, as if this episode isn't long enough, if you want more of Brandon and I, you can go to sudo.show, our website, or on social media at sudoshowpodcast. You can catch more awesome content over at our network partners, destinationlinux.network. There's shows like Hardware Addicts, the Destination Linux podcast, our flagship. If you cannot get enough open source content, destinationlinux.network. So Brandon, is there anywhere else you'd like to send folks? You can follow me on Twitter at dbrandonjohnson or my website at open-tech.net. And you can follow me at ITGuyEric on ITGuyEric.com. Remember, the Pseudo Show is your place for all things enterprise open source. Until next time. Mm-hmm.